the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. Every human being has been designed by God on purpose for a purpose. When God made you, He made you on purpose for a purpose. In fact, I want you to say with me, I was made by God on purpose for a purpose. I am special. This is the truth of Scripture. That God, when He created you, He did not somehow just accidentally put you on the planet. You're not an accident. God designed you on purpose for a purpose. You are special to God, and everything that God makes is good. Listen to Isaiah chapter 44, verse number 2. I am your creator. I am your creator. You were in my care even when before you were born. Everything that God makes, he makes on purpose for a purpose, and he does so for good. And God has a good purpose for your life. It doesn't mean that everything you do is good and everything that happens to you is good. But even in the bad dimensions of life, God is able to reach down in his love and mercy and redeem that through Christ to bring good out of the toughest circumstances you will ever go through in life. Now, this idea of inspired with purpose, it's grand, it's glorious, it's kind of a nice thing to think about. But what does it mean to the everyday aspect of our living? How do we live out a sense of purpose? How do we live with a sense that God has made me on purpose for a purpose? What is God's plan for my life? What is God's will for my life? And so in this part of the series, I'm trying to help you to understand, and I'm growing in my knowledge as well, what does it mean to live in the plan of God? How do I know God's will for my life? How do I know God's plan for my life? We talked about some of those things already, but I'm going to share with you today six things that are essential for you to do And understand if you want to know God's plan for your life. Because you can't experience God's purpose without knowing his plan and following his plans. Let's take a look at these things together. Six things we'll look at for the next few moments. The first thing that is essential, if you're going to discover God's plan for your life and fulfill his purpose, is you need to focus on your now responsibilities, not your next opportunity. Joseph in the Old Testament is a great example of this. When Joseph was 17 years of old, God gave him a dream for his future. He dreamed that he was going to be a ruler. He saw it very clearly in multiple dreams that God gave him, that he was going to one day be a ruler. He could have gotten sidetracked and became, become so dream-oriented that he would have missed that opportunity. But instead, Joseph made the choice to live every day faithfully. Right after getting this dream, you can read about this in Genesis chapters 39, 40, and 41 if you'd like to read it later this week. But in this moment, is after Joseph receives this dream, his brothers become jealous of him and they end up selling him into slavery. And Joseph is delivered down as a slave into Egypt. He's bought by a man named Potiphar and he's brought into Potiphar's house. And in that moment, Joseph could have become bitter and angry about how life seemed to be turning out for him. But instead, he applied himself to the present moment. 
The present moment was he was a slave in Egypt, and so he made the decision, I'm going to be the best servant that Potiphar has ever seen. And so he begins to serve Potiphar's household so diligently and so faithfully that Potiphar says, I've never seen a guy like you before. In fact, I'm going to put the whole management of my household in your hands. And out of that, Joseph began to manage that household of Potiphar because Potiphar was a very wealthy man. He learned a lot about how to stand and exercise management in that season of his life because he gave himself to the now, to the present. Well, if you've read the story, you know what happens next. Potiphar's wife lusts after Joseph and falsely accuses him of rape, and he ends up going from being a slave in Potiphar's house to going to prison, falsely accused. Joseph could have again been very bitter about this because he had this dream of being a ruler. Things didn't seem to be turning out the way he planned. He ended up as a slave in Potiphar's house. Now he's a prisoner in Pharaoh's jail. And so as he's there, instead of becoming bitter, he applies himself to his situation. He does everything he can do in the now to be the best prisoner that Pharaoh has ever had in jail. And so he does such a great job that actually the head of that prison says, Joseph, I'm going to put everything in your charge. You're so trustworthy. You now are in charge of the prison. You can run this for me. I know you're a prisoner, but you're also in charge of the prison. So there you see that Joseph applied himself to the situation that he was in, and he did the best that he could in the situation where God had placed him. And ultimately, He comes out of prison and becomes the prime minister of Egypt and fulfills the purpose for which God designed it. But Joseph would have never fulfilled God's purpose had he not lived in the now. You can't live in the next. You have to live in the now. Number two, the second thing. Do you want God's will for your life? Do you want God's will for your life? Then second of all, let God transform you. We all come into the world, yes, with a divine purpose, but... But we, we sometimes never find it or fulfill it because we don't let God shape us and make us fit for our calling. See, while God has a purpose for your life, you have to be shaped for that purpose. Your life has to be transformed so you'll be able to do what God is wanting you to do with your life. You can't just be normal everyday you and expect to fulfill everything God has in store for you. God has to work in you and change you. All of us are sinners. We have this nature inside of us that needs to be properly shaped so that we can experience the plan God has in store. And that shaping transformation process begins with salvation. You can't find God's purpose in your life until you accept Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. You have to be saved. You need to have a saving experience where you're born again on the inside where you make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. You can't say, God, I want your purpose, but I don't want your salvation. No, salvation is what leads you to your purpose. Listen now, Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 2, the first five verses. As for you, speaking of each one of us, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, and which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, that's everybody, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Anybody want to just take a moment with me today and thank God for the grace that saved you? Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse number 7. 
Endure hardship or challenges as discipline or as training. God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined or trained by their father? If you're not disciplined and, not, and everyone goes through, undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we all have, all, all have had human fathers who disciplined or trained us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined or trained us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines or God trains us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. That has become that person that God wants us to be. No discipline or training seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Here's what I want you to see out of that passage. Many things we could talk about. But when you become a child of God, then God begins to work on you, to train you, to discipline you so that you can become the person that he wants you to be. He begins to take off those rough edges. Anybody just want to admit this morning you've got a few rough edges in your life, right? God begins to chisel away at certain things. He begins to sand away at the rough spots of your life. He begins to work on you through the things that you go through in life. Why do you go through certain things? Because God is shaping you. God is using those things to mold you and make you into the person that will be the perfect fit for the purpose he designed for your life. But you need to allow him to transform you. If you just sit back and say, God, I'm interested in going to heaven. I don't want to do anything else. You'll never find your purpose in life. To find God's purpose, you need to be transformed in your own life. Number three, the third thing that's essential, you've got to keep the right people in your life if you're going to discover God's will. Your destiny, finding God's purpose for your life, is, is determined by your willingness to lean into the right people in your life. To find the right people and to lean into the right people. Because the right people in your life will help train you and they will help shape you and they will help confirm and affirm God's call in your life. They will encourage you to pursue and to stay faithful to that calling. They will help you to avoid mistakes along the journey. You need the right people in your life. The wrong people in your life will take you the opposite direction. Listen to these verses. Proverbs twelve twenty six. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Listen to 1 Corinthians 5, 11. I hope this will settle in deeply. These are the words of the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Let them speak to you today. If you're a believer in Jesus, a follower of Christ, let these words speak to you. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Why did Paul say, if you're a believer, don't hang around with people like that? The reason is because if they're like that and you hang around with them, it's not long before you'll be like that. And so you have to make some hard choices. Keep the right people in your life. I'll give you one last statement before we move on to the next point. Remember this. Always remember that your community determines your destiny. Number four, respond the right way when you fail. Bad news and good news for you this morning. Failure is a part of life. No one gets it right all the time. Not, not a single one of us. We all fail along the journey. We fail in different ways. But, but everybody fails in their pursuit of God's purpose. 
And if you're not careful, failure, the devil will use failure to detour, detour you from your purpose if you don't know how to handle it. If you don't know how to handle failure, yeah, I promise you, the devil will sidetrack you through your failure. Everybody fails. But some people grow through their failure. Other people let their failure define them and defeat them. So the choice really is yours. Will I grow through my failure or, or will I allow my failure to define me and keep me defeated in life? King David was one of the greatest men that ever lived. King David extended the kingdom of Israel far beyond the boundaries it had ever been extended to before. David was an amazing king. In fact, God said of David, he is a man after my own heart. Right in the middle of your Bible is the book of Psalms. Psalms has 150 chapters. Many of those chapters were written, penned, inspired by the Holy Spirit through a man by the name of David. But did David fail? Read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 11. He certainly did. He failed miserably when he sinned with Bathsheba and when he had Bathsheba's husband killed in battle. I mean, he was not only a, an adulterer, but he was also a liar and a murderer. And he goes through this time in life of really searching his own soul and trying to get back in right relationship with God. And finally, he pens a prayer that he prays in Psalm 51. The first four verses, listen to them. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Bought out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justify when you judge. And then in verse 10, he prayed this prayer Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David, out of the midst of his failure, found the forgiveness of God. He moved forward with his life. And the reason I'm going to lay this out for you is because everybody fails. And the devil loves to jump on your back when you fail and tell you you've blown it for your future. I want to tell you today, no, you haven't. God is a redemptive, restorative God. God's grace goes beyond anything you can imagine in your life. And God is able to restore people out of the midst of their failure. How does this happen in your life? I'm not encouraging failure, by the way. You want to stay away from it, but I will tell you that God in the midst of it can still work in your life when you do certain things. And that's why you have on your notes seven things that you need to do when you fail if you want to get back on track with God. I'm going to ask you to read them with me at all of our campuses. The first thing you must do is acknowledge it. You're never going to get anywhere until you acknowledge, I made a mistake. I blew it. I messed up. And that first acknowledgement is first and foremost to yourself. You can't even admit it to God until you admit to yourself, I blew it. And that's where people, a lot of people get stuck because their pride will not allow them to acknowledge they've made a mistake. The second thing is confess it. I'm talking about to God. You go to God and say, God, now I've acknowledged that I've messed up. I've made a mistake here. I've missed the mark. I've sinned against you. Now I'm confessing it to you. I'm telling you that I agree with you that this was wrong. So you confess it. Number three is repent of it. Okay? Repent is a word that simply means to turn things around, to do a 180 is the basic idea. If you get on the wrong road and you know that it's not taking you to your destination, if you're wise, what will you do? 
you'll turn around. Exactly right. That's called repentance. I'm on the wrong road. I don't want to stay on this road, so I'm going to turn around and get back on the right road. That's what repentance is. So repentance is not some mean, nasty word. It's not God's angry with you. It's just acknowledging the fact I'm on the wrong road here. This road is not leading me to where God wants me to go and where I want to go with my life. So I'm going to get off this road and get on the right road. That's called repentance. And that you have to do that if you're going to get back on track with God. Number four, receive God's forgiveness. When you acknowledge it, admit it to yourself and confess it to God, now come to God with repentance, then you need to say, God, now I receive your forgiveness. God promises to bring forgiveness. And then number five is to do what? Forgive yourself. Sometimes it's the toughest part. I've known people who've actually said, yeah, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself for this. And the devil jumps on your back and tells you how bad you are and that you're never going to ever make it again. He shames you. And I'll get to that in just a moment. But he makes you feel condemned about it. And you continue to beat yourself up over and over again. That is completely non-productive. And it's not according to the mind and will and love of God. And then number six, get up and do what? Get going again. I love the story of Peter in the Bible. Peter messed up too, did he not? On the day that Jesus needed him the most... Peter three times said, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. He denied Christ three times. After Jesus rose from the grave, he said, go tell my disciples that I've risen, I'm going to Galilee, and I want to see them, I want them together, and especially tell Peter. Make sure Peter knows that that I'm coming. And so Jesus brings Peter back into relationship with himself. Even after he's fallen, he's encouraging Peter to get back up and get going again. It's an amazing thing to me that if you begin to read in the book of Acts, you will find not many days after Peter had denied Jesus three times, not too many days after that, Peter is the very one that God chooses to preach the Pentecost message where 3,000 people are saved. I'm telling you, God can get you up and get you going again. You don't have to stay down. The devil, again, wants to push you down and keep you down. No, you rise up and say, God has forgiven me. I'm forgiving myself. I'm going to get up and get going again and then refuse to let shame shackle you. Don't let shame shackle you. Don't let the shame of your life hold you back. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Respond the right way when you fail. Number five, avoid pride, jealousy, resentment, and bitterness. There are a lot of things that will get you off track with God and God's will for your life. But I'm telling you, these are the big three. I'm saying three. There are four words there, but I'm linking uh, resentment and bitterness together. I'll, I'll show you that in just a moment. Pride, jealousy, resentment, and bitterness. These three things, I promise you, if you allow these things, these three things in your life, they will absolutely keep you from the fullness of God's plan for your life. Pride is, I don't need God, I'm sufficient, I, can ha- I got the tiger by the tail, I got this, and so you stop leaning into God and trusting Him for dependence because you feel like you're good enough, okay? You can handle this yourself. There are many different ways that pride will manifest itself. Pride is something that puts the I in the center of your life, Okay? It's about me, P-R-I-D-E, it's about me. And the Bible teaches us that when you get into this attitude of pride, you're on a bad track, you're gonna miss God's purpose for your life. James 4, verse six, but he gives us more grace, that is why scripture says, listen to this, the Bible says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Think about this for a moment. That God opposes you when you're proud. That God actually 
fights against you. I don't want God fighting against me. I want God fighting for me. How about you? Okay. The second thing to avoid is jealousy. What is jealousy? Jealousy is when you compare yourself with somebody else. When you look at what they have and you're mad about what they have, you're frustrated about what they have or the opportunities they get because you didn't get them, your eyes are off of you and your purpose and plan, your eyes are on somebody else because you're comparing yourself with people around you. Comparison is a terrible trap of the enemy. Stop thinking about anybody else's life. You're, never, you're not going to stand before God and give an account of anybody else's life. The third category that you must avoid is resentment and bitterness. What is resentment and bitterness? Resentment and bitterness is you hurt me and I'm not going to let go of it. I'm going to hold on to this thing. I'm going to let it stay inside of me. Anytime you're angry at someone, bitter and resentful towards someone, you're really not hurting them. You're hurting you. It's poison inside of you. It hardens your life. Listen to these words in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. See to it as make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Avoid pride. Avoid jealousy. Avoid resentment and bitterness. Get those out of your life. They will steal your destiny. Final point this morning. You've got to learn about you. You've got to learn about you. God made you, and God made you in a unique way. You're, you're special. There are unique aspects of your life, but it's not going to be beneficial to you if you don't know who you are. You have to know something about you. How do you learn about you? There, there are three things there on your notes I'll talk about very quickly. You have to learn about you by, by your own self-observation, by your own personal reflection, by what we call self-awareness. And God can help you with this through His Word and by His Spirit. But you have to take some time to think about you. Who are you as a person? Why do you live the way you live? Why do you respond to things the way you respond to them? See, there are a lot of people that will go through life that never stop to think about how they're handling life. What are they learning about themselves from the process? What can I learn about me through this event? And so you have to step back and say, let me do some time of reflection about myself. You need to spend some time thinking about why you do what you do and why you feel the way you feel and what's going on in your life so that God can help you be aware of things that he wants to work on in your life. If you don't have any time of self-reflection, and we live in a world that's very active-oriented and all kind of stuff going on all the time, but you need to pull back sometime and say, God, I just need you to help me think about me for a moment. What do you want to talk to me about related to me? Now, that's the me kind of time that's valuable time for you, self-reflection, self-awareness. What do I need to understand about me? The second way that you understand things about you is through feedback from other people. I'm so thankful for some people in my life that are, that are able because I trust them. They're valuable people to me because they help me to see things in my life that I couldn't see otherwise. The third way that I'll mention very briefly here that you can learn about yourself is through personality tests. It's important to do some personality tests along the way. Now, I'm not a big believer that personality tests should describe and should define how you live your life, No. But if you haven't taken a personality test, you ought to do so because they'll tell you because psychologists have learned how to help us understand something about our personalities. It's a science like other kind of science. It's an imperfect science, but there's things that are related to our personalities that we learn. And so there's some great personality tests, 16 personality tests. You can get it online. Take it about probably 15 minutes. Uh, the Enneagram is a great way to look at it. Myers-Briggs. There are a lot of different ways. You'll be amazed at how crazy you are when you take a test like this. Okay, it's like this. 
But again, it's not to prescribe how you live the rest of your life. It's to give you information about yourself so that you learn. Why? Because you need to know about you. If you don't know, understand anything about you, how can you let God work on you? You're blind, okay? You can't, you can't grow if you don't understand, what I, what, where do I need to grow in my life? And so God uses your times of self-reflection. He uses your feedback from other people. He uses things like tests and information that you can use along the way to help you to understand you. Last verse, verses that we'll look at together and we'll be done. Take a look at this verse that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. Why do you notice the little pieces of dust in your friend's eye, but you don't notice the big piece of wood in your own eye. How can you say to your friend, let me take that little piece of dust out of your eye. Look at your, what's it say? Say it again with me. Look at. One more time. Look at. You still have that big piece of wood in your own eye. We have a tendency to go through life pointing out the failures and the mistakes of other people and seeing the specks in the other's eye. But God says, would you just stop for a moment look at yourself and see the plank, the piece of wood in your eye that will help you to be the person that I want you to be. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus, I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.